Well, thank you, Jeff, uh, for your prayer this morning. Well, I've been uh, your pastor now for uh, almost eight months. And um, the Bible says that you're supposed to love me. So keep that in mind during this opening illustration. Tony Campolo tells a story about a guest preacher who was correcting an inward-looking, very conservative congregation. The problem, the preacher's voice boomed, is that people are dying all over the world without a saving knowledge of Jesus, and you people don't give a damn. When he punched the final word, the crowd gasped. Women looked at each other, stunned. Kids sat at rapt attention, wide-eyed. The elders glanced at each other, sending a silent but understood message. We need to meet soon. (laughs) The minister continued, much more slowly and deliberately and with obvious pain. The saddest part is that most of you are more upset that I use the word damn in church than you are that people are going into an eternity without hope. I would say to that, ouch, right? And I wonder if if you think that is true of many churches. I don't think that's true of our church, but I think it is true of many churches. And it begs this question. How much do you care about those who are far from God? Now, before you give the program Sunday school answer, let me help us answer the question honestly. When is the last time you had a lost person in your home and the plumber doesn't count? How many meaningful conversations did you have with non-Christians this past week? And who are the people that are far from God who you prayed for today? If you and I cannot answer these questions with several names, chances are we are on the road to complacency and at worst not caring. I believe that one of the most important characteristics of an it person or an it church is those who have a deep desire to see lost people come to Christ. Now these past weeks we've discovered several it characteristics. A passion for his presence Just being in the presence of Jesus, to be with him, to receive life from the vine because we are the branches. And then we looked at sincere integrity, walking straight and standing tall, right? No undivided heart, a heart that is completely given to God. To be integrated, to have what's in here, our heart, match what's out here, our hands in our mouth. And then down to earth humility. We looked at Amos's wonderful quote, to walk humbly with your God, to bend a knee to God and to no one else. And then two weeks ago, spirit-filled faith. Uh, we looked at the contrast between dead faith and James and alive faith. Dead faith is um, is kind of that zombie faith, that Pharisee faith that only says, please look at me and notice that I have faith by the things that I do. Living faith, on the other hand, comes from deep inside you when the fruit of the Spirit is being born in your life because your faith is alive. And then last week, 
we looked at the it characteristic that an it person and it church takes risks. When you recognize that you have the pearl of great price, when you have that gospel inside of you, you will do anything to reach one more for Jesus. And that leads us to our it characteristic for today. A deep desire to reach those who are far from God. My life verse through my ministry is Galatians 4.19. For I am ever in labor until Christ is formed in you. In other words, my life, I feel pain in my soul, in my life, when I do not see Christ formed in you or my loved ones or my friends or even my enemies. I am ever in labor till Christ be formed in you. Now, this morning I'd like to take a look at a wonderful story, uh, one of the gospel, the gospel stories from Mark. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, this is a very familiar story to most of you, and so I'm going to be reading that this morning uh, in the New Living Testament, the New Living Translation. Uh, this is Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. We'll put these uh, verses up on the screen as well. This is the word of God for the people of God at Grace Community Church. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Listen to this word. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, and so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat. That might have been quite a scene, right? He grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Or I might add, or since, right? So life in Palestine in Jesus' days was very public. Um... Jesus started teaching. He was staying at somebody's home, a friend. And it was one of these homes that had a couple of doors and windows. But when Jesus showed up to teach there, the people just crowded in. I mean, they were following him. They were searching after him. They were looking for him always. And so soon the entire house was jam-packed with people. And there were people on the outside trying to get a peek through the door, through the window. Everybody was looking. Everybody was listening. Now we know out of the entire crowd, at least four guys got it. Let me explain. These fanatical four had a crippled friend who desperately needed 
Jesus' healing touch. They were not on a mission to get Jesus to autograph their Bibles or their Jesus Saves t-shirts. No, they were on a mission to get their friend in front of the Messiah. Now, what were the others doing there? There was probably over 100 people there. What were they doing there? Well, some, I think, were probably curious. Maybe they were Messiah shopping or shopping for the next great thing or the next great person. Maybe they were asking the question, I wonder if this guy can meet my family's needs, right? Kind of like church shopping today. Others were there, well, maybe to see something spectacular. They had heard about Jesus changing water into wine. They'd heard about the blind man Bartimaeus. And they'd heard about Jesus casting out demons into a herd of swine. I mean, these are awesome stories, right? These are amazing things. And maybe they were wondering themselves, what great spectacular thing is Jesus going to do next? Some of them were there just simply asking the question, what's in it for me? If I follow this guy, uh, if I go with him, uh, maybe we will overthrow Rome. Uh, maybe we will start a new religion and it'll be the in religion, the it religion. But what is it for me? What kind of leverage can I have if I follow this guy? But these four men had a completely different agenda. Consider some things that these fervent, fixated, friend-toting four teach us. It took me a while to put that together, so enjoy that. The first thing is love, love, okay? They were so intent... <laughs> so deliberate, so determined to get their friend to Jesus. They put a hole in the roof. Now, when they did that, that was very risky because it was going to cost them. They're going to have to replace the roof, right? Uh, It was going to be embarrassing. They were going to be ridiculed. And they did all of this. Why? Because one simple fact emerged. They loved their friend. And they will do anything. Listen carefully. They will do anything anything to help their friend get in front of Jesus. It begs the question, how much do we love those around us who are far from God? Jesus said, let me make this really simple. Now we know uh, in the Old Testament that there were uh, the Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments. Out of the Big Ten came 612 laws Out of those 612 laws came thousands of laws to interpret the laws. It's called the Midrash. And so they had all of these thousands of laws floating around. And the Pharisees said, "Ah, you can't walk more than 30 feet on the Sabbath. You can't tie a knot on the Sabbath. All these ridiculous laws and all of these things. Jesus said, let me me make this simple for you. And so when he was with the disciples for the last time uh, on Monday, Thursday... This is what we read in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second law is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, both Paul and John called this law, the basic essence of it, Christ's law. Christ's law came to supersede or to replace all the other Old Testament laws, right? And Christ's law was simply stated, I want you to love each other in the same way that God in Christ has loved you, right? 
So in other words, all of the laws, the doctrines, the sound biblical teaching, the shoulds and should nots, the do's and don'ts are all subservient to the law of Christ. To love each other in the same way that God in Christ has loved us. So um, years ago, uh, at, when we were at Hope, um, we had a couple visit our church. Um, it was a same-sex couple, uh, Jen and her uh, friend, her, her uh, significant other. And they came to our church for a couple of years and stayed there. I remember early on, they asked for a meeting with me, and I knew what this was going to be about. And they said, what do you believe about same-sex relationships, et cetera? I said, well, let me tell you what the Bible teaches, and I, I believe what the Bible says. But here's what I can tell you for, about our church. We will love you, and we will respect you, and we will honor you every way we can. But we will ask you one thing, and this is the same thing we ask of every single person who walks through the doors of our church. What does it mean for you to take one step closer to Jesus every single day? Now, if you ask that question, I'll let the Holy Spirit work with you and deal with all this other stuff. But you need to know that we will love you and respect you. But here's the deal. We want you to say, what does it mean for me to take one step closer to Jesus every day? So that relationship, when I, they broke up eventually, and Jen went to, be, uh, went to church with her grandmother after that. But I used to see her always at the bagel shop. That After I went to work out, I had to replete the calories really fast. So I went to the bagel shop, and I did that. And, and I'd see her almost every week. And there's Jen. And she comes over, we'd have a nice conversation. And I remember one time she said this. She said, Dwayne, I will never forget how that you and your church loved us. We disagree on certain things about our lifestyle. We disagree about that. But one thing we never felt from you or your congregation, a lack of love or a lack of respect. And I'll always love you for that. I'll never forget that. See, that's our call. We don't have to try and straighten out the world. The Bible is clear on that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's not our job to go and judge the world. It's our job to judge each other as Christ followers. But this is the thing that Jesus said. You need to know what it means to love somebody. That's what these faithful four men did. Now, who do you love? And if you love God and you love people, when we love someone deeply and sincerely, it makes us want the very best for them, right? I mean, why wouldn't we love somebody in a way that would help them say, what does it mean to follow Jesus? So we do love for a lot of reasons. Now, in my family, in my marriage, now Sherry and I have been together for a lot of years. We just had our 50th wedding anniversary. I can tell you what love looks like. It looks like Hallmark movies at Christmas, and they're all exactly the same. I mean, exactly the same. The guy kisses the girl one minute before the end of the show. Okay, so I hope I don't spoil it for you, but they're all the same. Uh, I watch, I've watched Mama Mia more times than I can count. I have watched The Sound of Music. Every time I have gone with my beautiful wife to Indian food, which she adores, I walk away saying, this is what love requires, Dwayne. This is what love requires, going to Indian food with your wife. I mean, love makes you do crazy things, right? So, so you have to ask the question, who do you love? And do you love people that don't love Christ? Now there's, uh, and we won't go, we won't read the text, but you know the story in Luke chapter 15. Um, Jesus um, uses three short uh, stories. Story of the uh, lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. 
And each one of those, and then when Jesus repeats something, when he says something, okay, here's what I want to tell you. Now I'm going to tell you a different way, and I'm going to tell you a different. When he repeats something three times, he's saying, listen to me. You need to understand this. This really matters. And when Jesus talked about those three stories, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, he was saying this very, very clearly. Lost people really matter to God. Lost people really matter to God. That's why Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross for lost people. So if that is so important to God, it must be important to us. Honestly, many so-called Christians, and you don't have to look too far to find churches full of people who are insulating themselves from the world, hunkering down, avoiding PG-13 movies and secular music. These inward-looking religious types keep their distance from anyone who drinks beer, cusses after a bad golf swing, smokes anything, has a tattoo, Mita, or wears designed jeans with holes in them. They avoid homosexuals. They criticize rock stars. They stare disapprovingly at purple hair and mohawks, and they're afraid of MTV. Too many believers are avoiding that kind of person. And they've forgotten that Jesus came to the world and died on the cross for that kind of person. Do you love people who are far from God? Good people, easy to love. Enemies, not so easy to love. How about saved people? Sometimes saved people are the hardest ones to love. Especially EGRs. You know what an EGR is? An EGR is a person that you know where you need extra grace. Extra grace required. An EGR, right? Now, if you're in a group of believers, and we're going to gather on the 18th, and there'll be little groups of people with keeping social distance, and they'll be talking. If you can't figure out who the EGR is in your group, it's most likely you, okay? So, so that's okay. But, but here's the deal. Are we loving all people? Do we see all people as those for whom Jesus died? Do we see all people, even those weird people that we don't understand, even those enemies that we can't stand, do we see those people as people whom Jesus died for? Do you love those who are without Christ? You need to be honest with yourself. Does our church have people whose hearts beat for those outside the family of God? Churches that have it care for each other, and they care for people who are far from God. Churches and ministries without it are more about the sheep inside the fold than goats outside the church. And the lack of caring is communicated clearly. In one of the churches that I served, I was meeting with the deacons, and across the street from our church, uh, there was a brand new um, um, uh, complex of, uh, of uh, rentals, of um, you know, rental houses across the street. And so new people are going to be moving in. And we were talking about how we can care for our congregation. It was a deacon's meeting. And I said, you know what? Let's have a plan, a strategy to maybe take cookies over to the people as they move in uh, to these rentals and uh, greet them and give them a, a piece of paper that says, hey, we're right across the street. We'd love you to have you come join us for one of our church, our services. And one of the deacons that was uh, an, uh, an older man at the time, I, I thought a very seasoned, seasoned believer, he said, what do those people have to do with our church? It broke my heart. What do those people have to do? 
Those people have everything to do with our church. Our church is supposed to come together so that we can be with those people, not just stay hunkered down within our building. What caused the good shepherd to leave the 99 to pursue the lost one? Love. What made the father stand at the edge of town praying that his lost son would return home? Love. What drove our heavenly father from heaven to earth? Love again. John 3.16 records it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you love the lost? The four men who brought the paralytic to Jesus loved him so much they didn't count the cost. They took a risk. That's what we talked about last week. They didn't consider the risk. They just had to get their friend to Jesus. They were desperate and that's what love does. Second Peter 3, 9 in the New Century Version, we read these words. God does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. These four had a deep love for their friend, and they had a deep love for Jesus. And they had something else. It's what I would call recognition. They recognized that their friend needed Jesus. Too many times we forget that people who are without Christ are lost. I mean, really lost. Lost for eternity. Uh, I told you last week that story about um, when I was 18 years old, a freshman in college, and my grandfather was dying, and I just couldn't stand it. I had to tell him about Jesus. I was embarrassed. I was a risk. I was just I, I didn't know what to say, but I had to do it. There was that sense within me that I just couldn't do anything less. Do you recognize that people without Jesus are lost forever? I've seen this phenomenon many times at funerals. I've done over 250 funerals in my ministry. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard family members say something like this. Well, Grandpa wasn't much of a churchgoer, and he didn't like religion, but he was a hard worker. And besides his gambling problem and the fact that he ordered a stripogram for his 80th birthday, he was a pretty good guy. And we know he's in a better place. Really? Do we know that Grandpa's in a better place? Come on, this is, this is serious stuff. Uh, I would hate to think that any of my loved ones have gone into an eternity without Christ. But the reality is that many, many people do. We want to believe that people we love never go to hell. We soften the reality by saying nice things at funerals. But the truth is very simple. Jesus said it. This isn't Dwayne speaking. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man or woman comes to the Father unless they come through me. That's Jesus speaking. If you don't come to Jesus, you're not coming to God. Matthew 25, 30, last week we talked about this wicked servant, right? And at the end of that, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a scary passage. I even hate to say that, but that's from God's word. And let me tell you why. People say, well, a loving, merciful God would never send anybody to hell. Well, here's the news. 
God doesn't send anybody to hell. God blockaded the road to hell with the cross of Jesus Christ. If you choose to say no, 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 God, I won't do it. I won't listen. I won't say yes. I won't accept Jesus. I want nothing. I will not follow him. If you choose to say, you are choosing to spend eternity away from God. This is serious business. Like my grandfather, I, I cannot bear to see anyone I love spend eternity without Christ. Do you have that sense of urgency in your soul? I must get my friend, my son, my parent, my grandparent to Jesus, no matter what the cost. Do you recognize the urgency? Now, in our story, these four stretcher bearers loved their friend. They loved Jesus. They recognized the urgency of him seeing Jesus. And next, they exhibited what I would call a deep passion. So they arrived at the house Undeterred, everything that they were going to do anything to get their friend to Jesus. Couldn't get in through the door. Couldn't pass him through the window. Couldn't get through the crowd. They put a ladder on the side of the house, crawled up on the roof, and they started digging a hole in the roof. Imagine the scene. All of these people crowd in there around Jesus. The sun explodes. Flakes of straw and manure are kind of coming down. They didn't have glade in those days, right? These roofs in those days, they were like beams three feet apart, and it was covered with straw, mud, and manure. Okay, and that's what their, their roofs were like. And so they see the silhouettes of these men and these flakes coming down, and they were saying, I wonder what's going to happen. And they were laughing and ridiculing, and what are you doing? And then they lowered this man on these four ropes, and they just plopped him down right in front of Jesus. No barriers for these four guys. No excuses. Love overcomes any obstacle. Now that's passion. Now we've started uh, the football season, right? And college games are starting. I think some of them have started already, but some are starting this weekend. But uh, I'm a Cardinal fan, and uh, so I watch the Cardinal games. And um, you watch, now you don't see them this year because you see cutouts, right, of people. But you go to a Cardinals game, and uh, you see the passion there. Uh, they're called fans, but they're not really fans. They're fanatics. Now, don't laugh. Uh, if you're a U of A fan, you do the same thing with basketball, with men's basketball. But this, this fanatical, this matters to me more than anything in the world, and I will die if they lose, and I will soar if they win, and it's just all so important to me. I remember back in the 80s, the early 80s, uh, I was serving the church in San Diego, Mount Miguel Covenant Church, and I was just out of seminary a couple of years, and uh, the Chargers were good in those days, okay? They're not so good anymore. Los Angeles Chargers, go figure. But the Chargers were good in those days. And here's the problem. I would preach two, service, two sermons in the morning, and then, remember this back in the early 80s, they wanted to have church again at night, and they wanted me to preach again. So I watched the Chargers. They lose, and I'm fighting mad. And I don't want to go back to church and preach. I don't want to give any good news because there is no good news, right? Because the only good news is if the charges. And I decided right then, okay, I've got, to, I've got to change from being a fanatic and go back to just being a fan. But God wants you to be a fanatic for your loved ones who are far from God. See, the first thing that Jesus did, this is so great. The first thing that Jesus did was not 
heal the, was to heal the man's greatest injury. His greatest injury. You know what that was? This is what Jesus said. Son, your sins are forgiven. I'm sure all the people there went, what? What are you talking about? The guy's paralyzed. He's been paralyzed since birth. He can't move. He has no use of his arms and legs. I'm sure the four friends thought that. And I'm sure all the people watching thought that. But Jesus said, listen, I want you to understand the priority in this man's life. The priority is not to make his body better. The priority is to change his soul. To change his heart. Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he said, take up your mat and go. This really matters. Now we're coming into a season of political turmoil. Actually, we've been in it for a couple of years. And we're going to talk about politics and we're going to vote and we're going to, uh, 50% of the people are going to be mad and 50% are going to be happy. And it's just going to be another mess. But this is something I've told you before and I want to remind you of this again. Please, when it comes to talking about little kingdom things, kingdom of man things, which politics is one of, save your greatest passion for Jesus. Save your greatest passion for people who are lost far from Jesus. Save your greatest passion for the gospel, for the pearl of great price. Don't waste your greatest passion on politics. This really matters, Jesus says. If you're passionate about reaching the lost, if your gut aches when you consider a loved one without Jesus, then let me share with you some, I just, I don't want to close this without giving some real practical ways of dealing with this. I just, I just don't want you to go home feeling bad. I want you to say, you know, I want that passion in my soul. I want that. I'm ever in labor till Christ is formed in you. I want that to be real in you. So here's some basic things you can do if you really desire to have people that you love know Jesus. The first thing is this. Welcome people who you don't know who doesn't know Christ into your life. Welcome people who don't know Christ into your life. Go out to lunch. Go to a movie. Have them over for dinner. Be friends. And you're not trying to get a notch in your belt, but you're just trying to be friends and love them, and hopefully that will lead, and I know it will lead, to a conversation about Jesus. Invest and invite. Invite him to come to church starting on the 18th. I told you that magic bullet last Sunday. It's not enough to say, hey, come to my church sometime. But here's the magic bullet. I want you to come to my church and sit with me, right? You have your mask on, right? I want you to come to church and I want you to sit with me. I'll take you to breakfast before. I'll take you to lunch after. But welcome people that you don't know, that don't know Christ into your life. The second thing is this. Know your story and know his story. Your story is how you came to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Rehearse it, tell it over and over again. This is my story. People want to hear your story. They don't want to hear your religion. They don't want to hear your dogmatic. They don't want to hear your theology. They want to hear your story. Tell them your story of how Jesus changed your life. And then if you have the opportunity, tell his story. There's lots of tools ABCs of faith, admit, believe, confess, four spiritual laws, steps to peace with God. There's lots of things you can do to help people walk through this idea. This is his story of how God came to the earth in Jesus to love you. And then the third thing is you just have to believe. Genuine faith. I mean, really believe, pastuo. Believe in such a way that you cling to the truth. You rely on it. 
You say, this is my truth. I believe with all my heart that God wants my loved one to be saved and I'm going to do anything in my power to reach out and tell them about Jesus. Because if you really don't believe in the power of Christ to change a life, people will know that you don't believe it. And if you do believe with every fiber of your being that Christ can and will and desires to transform a life, people will sense it, they'll feel it, and they may believe it as well. So what do we do with this message? We are called to love, to recognize the need, and to passionately pursue people that are far from God. So what do we do? Well, just for a moment, um, I have another uh, uh, story I want to tell you after this, but just for a moment, I want you to close your eyes. Wherever you are, in your homes, uh, at church, wherever you are, close your eyes. And I want you to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to place in your mind an image, a picture of someone that you love that doesn't know Jesus. And maybe there's more than one, maybe there's two or three, but just ask the Holy Spirit right now at this very moment, Lord, bring to my mind someone who doesn't know Jesus. Thank you, Father, for that reminder. You can open your eyes. That person or persons that you see, they matter to God, just like the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. They matter to God. And can you imagine the privilege that you get to have to partner with the Holy Spirit to reach your loved one for Jesus? Can you imagine the privilege you have to be in tandem to participate in someone coming to know Jesus? So there was a movie that came out uh, quite a few years ago. It was called The Guardian. And it starred uh, Kevin Costner and, um, and uh, Aston Kutcher. And The Guardian was about this um, up-and-coming, or, or this uh, uh, Coast Guard rescue swimmer. And Kevin Costner had been one for many years. He's about to retire. And he had rescued a lot of people. You know, that's where they drop you down into the water and you rescue somebody. They pull you up. It's very daunting and very unsafe. But this guy was an expert at it. And his, his fame was all over the Coast Guard. And people knew that he had a lot, of, a lot of saves, is what they called them. And this young guy, this young buck, Austin Kutcher, wanted to know what the mark was so he could try and exceed it right in his career. And so... Uh, he comes up to Kevin Costner. He says, hey, what's your number? And he wants to know how many rescues the record holder carries. The young and competitive diver is assuming he'll hear two or 300 rescues. Instead, Costner's character replies, what's my number? My number is 22. The young guy was shocked. 22, he says with great disappointment. I thought you saved many more than that. The veteran looks back over his shoulder and says, 22 is the number of people that I lost. That's the only number I ever counted. Now, we cannot save anyone. But when you know of someone in your life that is lost without Jesus, and when your heart aches for them, you've got to find a way. Invest, invite. You've got to find a way. Invite them into your life. Invite them to church. Invite them to a story. 
Help them to see that the life that is in you, that living faith that is in you, can be in them. The Holy Spirit desires to work with you to help to lead one more to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, um, why would you call upon weak, faithless individuals like us to participate with the Holy Spirit in reaching people for Christ? Why? We don't know, but we do know that you have called us to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. To take the good news of Christ's reconciling love to the earth and to share that good news with others. Thank you, Lord, that you are doing all the heavy lifting. (laughs) We plant seeds, we water, but God gives the increase. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful doing our part to reach one more for Jesus. And I pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior. Amen.